Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Pulp Hockey Show with Ray Ferraro and Steve Mathis. Support the show by clicking the Amazon banner on PulpHockey.com before shopping. Follow the show on Twitter at Pulp Hockey. Subscribe on iTunes and find us on Stitcher or your favorite podcast app. Hey, what's up? It's Steve Mathis. Thanks for listening to the Paul Pocky Podcast. A couple of notes before we get started here. For one, with such a limited time and when to enjoy your watercraft, don't waste any of it worrying about how to protect your property in the event of an accident or a theft. Let Wyatt Dowling ensure you're properly covered. Leave your worries at the door. Allpointinsurance.ca. Please go there if you're a Canadian listener, which a lot of you are. Go there and uh, get your watercraft insured, uh, including storage and uh, winterization and freezing and all that. It's all covered. And uh, water ski, waterboard, lake liability included with that. Three-year new model replacement. All right, thanks to those guys for coming on. And now let's get to Pulp Hockey Podcast with Ray. Before we get to that, one note. You'll see near the end of the Darren Pang interview, uh, it cuts off a little bit, and then we pick it back up. That's because Ray's phone died, and um, we had to uh, call Ray back, and then Darren loved it. And I, unfortunately, I'd hit pause, so I meant to uh, keep that in there, but I'd hit pause already. But you'll see when you get to it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Appreciate the reviews. Appreciate the rankings on iTunes by you people. Now, let's get to the show. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. Thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Each and every week, we'll take a spin around the NHL and talk about what's going on in the game, what's happening to uh, uh, the players around the league, and, uh, and much, much more. Thank you for listening. Download it on Stitcher. Download it on iTunes. Get it on any kind of podcatcher at all, or pulphockey.com also has the show. And uh, subscribe. Leave us a review. Talk about what you like, what you don't like. Try not to leave, uh, try to leave me out of what you don't like and just talk about how much you like the guy on the phone with me, after all, this is his show. Uh, on the line, TSN color analyst, former NHLer for six teams. Man once scored over 100 goals in junior. It's Ray Ferraro. What's up, Ray? Uh, not much. I'm in, um, in L.A. for the Leafs game tomorrow. and um, uh, Of course, Game 7 of the World Series is tonight. Yep. And so I'm, uh, I'm probably more interested in that than... Uh, <laughs> The NHL schedule tonight. It's uh, I, lo- I love one and outs. I love yeah. ultimate. You know, like the the ultimate game. The you know whether it's a game seven or a Super Bowl or something. I I just I love the tension. I love the pressure. And you know where everything means so much. Yep. And the series has been awesome. So looking forward to tonight. It's been unreal. It's been insane. Uh, I really thought the Strohs were going to close it out with Verlander, but now I like the Dodgers. We'll see, but. Uh... I like See, I'm not a Dodger guy, so yeah. I'm I'm hoping for Houston, I guess by default. Right. Although I do I like Correa and I, I like Altuve. It's pretty mm-hmm. tough not to yeah. not to like him. And um uh, I heard this great story uh from AJ AJ Hinch, the manager. So he had to take that Bregman out of the lineup at some point this year because he wanted to get somebody else some at bat, so he calls him into the office. Tells him the story or tells him the deal, you know, hey, you got to come out. And the Bregman's not happy. So he, they're, you know, they have a discussion and however that went. And he said, hey, look, I threw all the names in a hat and, um, 
and this is the way it came out. And he said, and so Bregman goes, you throw all the names in the hat, and, and I was the one you picked? And he goes, no, I picked Correa, but he wasn't coming out of the lineup, so I threw his name back in, and I did it again. Like, how can you not think that's an awesome guy to play for? Yeah, really, like, right? You might not yeah. like it, but right? like, okay, there are rules, and they're not the same for everybody. Yeah, yeah, no, and absolutely. That's, that's just the way it goes. But the other thing I thought of the other night, it was uh, game five. I think that was the one that was 13-12. And, uh, you know, you, you see on Twitter a bunch of pitchers um, complaining about the balls have changed. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and they would know. I mean, 100% they yeah. would know the yeah. way they feel, the way they fly. They would, they would know that. But what I thought as I was reading their, their tweets is outside of the pitchers, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. People like offense. People like runs. If there's home runs, great, because the best pitchers are still going to be the best pitchers. Their numbers are going to change. That's it. So if you had a 3.15 ERA, maybe your ERA goes to 3.74, but you're still the best, right? You'd still be the best pitcher. And what it got me thinking of is the goalie gear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because every time we talk about goalie gear, the only people that complain – are the goalies. Yeah. Nobody else complains that and and look, I gotta back up halfway again and say it's the safety I get. I don't want them to be unsafe. I want them to cheat less. So if <laughs> the best goal against average is one point nine seven now and it goes to two point five oh, but it's still the best goals against average, well then same guy's still the best. Unless he was cheating so bad that mm-hmm. That makes that big a difference to him, and he can't catch up to the game anymore. That's what I thought of when I was watching those balls fly out of uh, out of Minute Maid Park. Yeah, I was like, the only people that care are the pitchers because the hitters don't care, the fielders don't care because they get to hit eventually. The fans get to cheer. Yeah. So hopefully the NHL will get to that what's eventually. The, what's the me- watching? What's the measurement of the of the left field at Minute Maid? Is is it two hundred feet? <laughs> <laughs> like a little league park. Right. Um, you know, you know what's funny though. Like the the most famous left field in baseball is is Fenway Park, of course. Yeah, and the thirty seven foot monster in left field, it's three hundred and fifteen feet. And you, you know, I mean, as many home runs as the guys get, I'd like to know how many are taken away. Mm-hmm. They at Minute made by guys hitting a line drive that cracks off the wall about yeah. twenty feet up. That would be out of a normal ballpark. Yeah. There is give and take, but man, I mean, it, sure. is, it is short. It's it, just, it is, you know, and the ball, let's be honest, the ball is flying. So, yeah, yeah, no, I hope, I, it's, I hope it's like that again today. Oh, uh, me too. And yeah, I'll go with the pitcher saying, hey, it feels different. Verlander and all these other guys saying, look, it's different. It's different. And I'll go with that. But they, yeah. hey, they would know. They pick right. a, they've thrown 8 billion pitches in their life. And um, let's, it, it, either it feels wrong or not. Uh, we're going to have Darren Pang on, uh, St. Louis Blues analyst, former NHL goalie. Darren Pang will be on uh, later on. So I'm looking uh, forward Panger to that. Panger is a piece of work. He is, he's been a broadcaster yeah. for, man, probably probably as long as anybody that I know, um, you know, in our age vintage. Uh, Panger's career ended early. He's really a, a cool story because his, his knee got shredded uh, when he was playing for the Blackhawks and and then in the International League, which was their farm team, mm-hmm. and um, his career was over. And um, we'll get him to tell the story, but basically they gave him a non-paying job to start on the radio, and Panger turned it into uh, a 
<laughs> exemplary career. Right. I mean, he loves the game. He's a positive guy. He is awesome um, to be around. Um, when we go on golf trips together, uh, they call us Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber. Um, <laughs> we'll get him to tell you a story, or I will tell it when he gets on about getting lost on a hundred foot, hundred yard road from the driving range <laughs> to the first tee. We got lost. Oh boy. Oh boy. So Panger's a great dude and he's, he'll have some good stories. Talk to him about the St. Louis blues a bit and their great start yeah. and yep. um, about some of the things he's seen on, on his side of the, uh, of the league. A sneaky good start for the blues, right? I feel like I, like I looked at the standings and I looked a couple, a week later and I'm like, Oh, Look at that, leading the Central Division. I had no idea, you know what I mean? Yeah, kind they of... don't lose. Yeah. No. Because remember at the start of the year, they it seemed like they were going to have a, a really rough start yes. because they had so many injuries. And then um, all of a sudden, like you say, oh, it's a win here. Yeah. And, oh, gee, they got another win. And, <laughs> oh, look at that. And, oh, they get a couple of guys back. And then, you know, mm-hmm. their defense has been, you know, has scored a ton for them. Uh, Alex Petrangelo has been awesome. Yeah. It's been awesome. And so, um, Panger can tell us about the Blues. And, sure. Um, he might even have played golf today because if there is, if there is a course <laughs> it's a, within it's a chance. his breath, he's going to get on it. Uh, let me start with two quick Toronto Maple Leaf questions and then we'll move on. Um, first of all, uh, how much are you looking forward to possibly meeting up with me tomorrow? I'm going down to L.A. for the game. On a 1-10? to 10? Yeah. 1.7. Okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Of, of the things of the things in Los Angeles, yep, yep. Um, yeah, it'll be 1.7. Okay, all right. Well, you know what? I was actually expecting a little bring, lower. Are you bringing your wife? I'm bringing the wife. You can meet her for the first time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious to meet her because right. I want to see and, and quiz her on why the hell she would think marrying you was a good idea. <laughs> and get me a green card I gotta, at that. I, I gotta, <laughs> no, I got to question her on that. <laughs> well, I'm sure she'll, she'll love I mean, it. Um, I mean, there's got to be some legal ramification of this thing. I, you know, right, right. I, I got to ask some backdoor payment along the line somewhere. <laughs> yeah, um, got to be, man. Right. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, she's out of my class for sure. Um, second of all, should I panic? What's going? Like, uh, I wouldn't say panic. Okay. But I think you should be realistic about what your team is, and you know, it was what a couple of weeks ago where the Leafs were going to score four goals a game and is the greatest offense since the 85 Oilers. And, and then the wheels come off a little bit here. And I know just from my own experience, when you're hot, everything rolls your way. You feel great. You know, you know, you're, you're sure about what you're able to do. Then you go in the ditch and what you find out is, damn, it's hard to get out of the ditch. Mm-hmm. It's way easier to fall in it. It's actually, if you think about it, if you're walking down the street and you fall in a hole, it's way easier to fall in the hole than it is to climb out. That's a good and point. that's where the Leafs are. That's where the Leafs are right now. They're in this hole. And what's interesting to me is things went so perfectly for them last year. Mm-hmm. Like Babcock, in a sense, was able to coach in his slippers last year. They had no injuries. Yep. They didn't change the lines at all. They kept those top three lines yeah, virtually just, intact. All year. They yeah. played five defensemen, and then they fiddled around with their sixth guy. That was about it. There was nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. Well, now they bring in Patrick Marlowe. Um, Marner's not had a good start. 
Um, Bozak's not had a good start. JVR's not had a good start. I don't think Komarov has either. Mm-hmm. And so now all the lines kind of get jumbled around for the first time in two years. Marlowe's playing center in Anaheim tonight. There's a reason he hasn't played center in, in <laughs> San Jose for the last, I don't know, half a decade. It's because, A, he doesn't want to play there anymore, yeah. and B, he's a more effective winger. So this feels like pretty temporary to me, and I'm really curious about um, how they're going to play. But I wouldn't say panic, but I would say it, uh. it should give you a little blast of realism here about, oh, yeah, this, this team is not uh, you know, the gonna... Stanley Cup contenders yet. Well, thankfully, the Ducks are missing half of their team right now. So that's a, oh that's man, a good thing. isn't it amazing? Jeez, teams get hurt, and it's like one guy after another, and you're like, not another one. Oh, so insane. they just start getting guys back, and Fowler blows his knee up, and he's out for a month, and then they get a couple guys back, and oh, then Getzlaff gets hit in the face with a puck, and he's gone for at least a week, and man, it's gonna be it's gonna be January before that Ducks team yeah. gets back on their feet. So if they can just stay in the hunt. A little bit, mm-hmm. um, you know, just stay in touch with everybody. Uh, then they can look at making a little bit of a run past uh, past the new year because they'll also have some trade chips on defense. They'll be able to trade a defenseman for a forward, mm-hmm. which likely will happen. I, I think anyway. Um, and so I, I wouldn't sleep on the Ducks just yet. It's early, Ray, and we'll talk about your surprises coming in, and, and we want to touch on some of the rules enforcements also uh, here on the Pulp Hockey Podcast Show. And it's early, Ray, but I nominate the 8-3 Habs win over the Senators for the weirdest game of the year. What do you think? Well, <laughs> Habs- I, don't, I don't know. I, I would say the chances of the Canadians scoring eight goals against Ottawa on that particular night were relatively slim. <laughs> and it was a debacle from the get-go. I mean, Ottawa scored first, like yeah. 30 seconds into the game, it's one nothing, and then it's 1-1, and then the goal's going back for Eric Carlson's minus six. Right? Which is, <laughs> which is crazy. Now, I will say this. I've done about, uh, I think I've done four Senators games that Eric's played, and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, if, if people have listened to me on this show before on the games, they know Carlson's one of my favorites. You love players. him. You love that, him. Yeah. Oh, when Pavel Datsuk retired and went back to Russia, Carlson became my favorite guy to watch. I don't think he's right. I don't, I don't like the way he moves right now. I don't think he's as nimble or as athletic. And when we found out about the, not, not that there was a secret, but the public found out about the extent of Carlson's ankle injury last year and the surgery that he had to go through um, just to, to repair it, it's probably not surprising. But if if he can't get back anytime soon to what he normally is, Ottawa's in trouble. Mm-hmm. No matter what else the lineup looks like. Like the goal uh, Charles Udon scored, uh, he came up to the blue line and he, he just walked right around Carlson. That never happened. Mm-hmm. It never happens. And so that, was a, that's, that to me for Ottawa is a, a little bit of a concerning point. Yeah, absolutely. What a what a weirdo game. And and Penguins have been blown out a bunch. You just never know, I guess. I guess that's where we're at. Well, you just don't know. Well, that's where the Hey, don't you think that's where the league is like there's yeah. it's so close and if you have a bad night, things go south on you. They really go south. Like the um Pittsburgh's given up 25 goals in 3 games this year. <laughs> right. You you know, no matter what else they've done, it's going to be tough to get themselves out from that 25. They've given up 50 goals in 13 games. 
25 of them in three. Yeah. So that's, they've given up and, 25 goals in, in, in 10 games, 2.5 goals against. But they've given up 25 in the, in the other. other right. Uh, yeah, there are two games over 500. And by the way, uh, you said a few times on this show that you weren't too sure about Antti Niemi as a backup goalie and all that. And I was trying to be polite. I was sure. <laughs> he's long gone. I don't even know who's yeah, backup. Back poor guy. Up Man, it just, it just falls apart <laughs> right. at some point. Like for everybody. Like you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just can't do it anymore. And I feel bad because, and I really do. Like I, I, I do have a soft spot for, for guys as they get older, mainly because I got older too. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I know what it's like. You're like, okay, I need to get there. And by the time you get there, the puck's gone somewhere else. Right. And I'm sure Niemi's like, I know that what I have to do to stop the puck, I just can't anymore. Well, you, you explained and, it one time. And then it's done. You explained it one time that it goes quickly also. Like it goes quickly where you're like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. And then wait. You know, can't do it. I'm no good. Right. Yeah, I can't do it. Like, <laughs> and you know, the thing that surprised me about Pitt bringing in Niemi was he was not very good at all. Like, not good at all in Dallas last year. I was shocked mm-hmm. that he was the guy that they tabbed to to be the backup. Yeah. You know, I know he was a veteran, and you can say, oh, he won a Stanley Cup. That was in 2010. Yeah. You know, so I I I didn't see this working, and um, so now Pittsburgh's got Matt Murray and a youngster, Tristan Jerry, who is they're high on, but um, you know he's never yeah. really played in the league, so they're going to have to, um, you know, they're going to have to see where they can spot him in. But this was, you know, this was a byproduct, a little bit of the expansion draft and the cap, and so yeah. Mark Andre Fleury, who was a fabulous safety net for the Penguins, they they didn't want to trade him last year, and. And this is probably why, because now it, Murray's out on an island here. It's him or, yeah. or they got nothing. Jimmy Rutherford was like, you know what? I need a backup goalie. Let's take the guy from the worst team in the league for goalie save percentage last year. Let's, let me take that guy. That will be the guy because he's the guy that can get the cheapest. Yeah. And, and then you hope. Right. And then it didn't work, so yeah. you'll yeah, you figure you know, it out. You try, and, you try and figure it out past that. Um, okay, so everybody's played at least 10 games. Uh, in the league so far, what are your biggest surprises, Ray, going in? Uh, and it could be team, could be player, could be situation. Um, okay, anything. here, here, I'll go. I'll go through a couple of okay surprises. I didn't think it was possible for Arizona to be this bad. Like they stink, right? They, you know, one win in thirteen games. That's that's number one. I thought Edmonton would be better out of the gate. They're they're not even close. They're They've only scored 22 goals in 10 games. Their power play is among the worst in the league. Um, it's really hard to believe that um, that they were they've been that bad um, out of the hop. Mm-hmm. I thought Washington's defense would be uh, work in progress. They've given up over 40 goals. Like I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And then you get up to the other end of the spectrum. You know, I didn't. Vancouver has been way better than I thought they yeah, were going to be. Absolutely. Um, uh, Vegas is the surprise story, uh, uh, you know, eight and three. And, you know, like who, there's no way anybody had them even coming well, close to 500 and maybe they won't, but this is an amazing start. New Jersey would be another one. Uh, and then Los Angeles uh, to me is, is another big surprise. Um, they, they've, you know, Jersey, I didn't think was going to be as able able to score as much. L.A. either. Mm-hmm. But L.A. is, um, they basically rode Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, 
Tyler Toffoli, Drew Doughty, and Jonathan Quick. And it's been enough to go 9-2. and two. I mean, mm-hmm. like, that's a great yeah. start. Yep. Although, like you said... So for individuals, yeah. you know what? Yep. I, I'm happy and surprised that Steven Stamkos has been as good as he has. Mm-hmm. We did our... Um, uh, we did our... TSN top 50 players, and uh, I don't recall exactly where I had Stamkos, but I had him in the top 50, but way down the list. Um, basically, hasn't played for two years. Yeah. And now him and Nikita Kucherov are the first teammates to be over 20 points in October since John LeClaire and Eric Lindros in 95. Like, that's amazing. And, and the league is a better better spot um, when Stamkos is involved. I yeah, I firmly believe that he is. Um, he's a terrific player, and it's good to see, um, good to see him uh, as productive as he has been. He would be almost um, the biggest surprise. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, Henrik Lundqvist has not been very good. No, Carey Price has been worse. And if you would attach their goals against average and their save percentage to other goalies they would be in the American League. But because they have <laughs> right. such pedigree, yeah. of course, they're, you know, they're fine. I mean, they're not fine. They're, they're trying to work their way out. Most guys would be given the anti-Niemi right now. Yeah, true, right? Um, did you see that uh, Alan Vigneault's job is in danger? The media guys are saying that? I, I, do you believe that? Do yeah, you... sure. I, 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 I mean, can see that. It's I a little early. He's been, there a while. He's been there a while, and they've not been very good, and um, but here, here's the thing, is the coach is going to get fired, but the coach can only get the guys that are there mm-hmm. or can coach the guys that yeah. are there. I'm sure he didn't want to give up Derek Stepan for nobody. I'm sure they've not wanted to gut their roster over the last couple of years like they've had to do because of cap stuff. They're in a transitional period now. They've got to get younger and they've got to get faster. The only question is how deep are they going to go? Like, how deep into this roster are they going to carve? Like, yeah, yeah. Would they possibly trade Matt Zuccarello? Golly, that would be that would really be a big move. Um, but maybe they feel, you know what, we're we're going to be in the middle, so let's be lower than the middle, get some draft picks, get some younger players, and and start to rebuild again. And if Vino gets fired, um, if I were a team. Or if I were a coach of a team that's struggling, mm-hmm. I would be really nervous because Vino's not going to be unemployed very long. And you don't think uh, you don't think Arizona's going to do anything with with Talkett? It's way too early, right? I mean, but it's way too early, and I, like, you know, it's but, way too early. That's really where it stops. But they're not going to be paying three coaches right. while one of them coaches. Yeah, you know, Dave Tippett is still being paid there. Um, they're not going to. They're not going to. There's no way they're going to make a move. But if I'm, if I'm a couple other teams yep. that are a little dicey, I and Alain was in was available. I I would think about it. Um, uh, I think Vigneault's a terrific coach. And another in your surprises, you listed Vancouver, and of course you live there, and you've you've been telling us on the show that Travis Green is going to make a fantastic NHL coach. I read something really interesting uh, on the Athletic a couple weeks ago about the Sedin's ice time. Um, pushed way down, and they seem like great guys and classy enough that they're probably happy. But this has been a difference for Travis Green. This has been a real uh, eye-opening for a lot of people for him making that move, and, and it's working. Yeah, well, uh, people are learning about Travis, and, and you know things have gone well for him, but he's a really stubborn guy. 
He's very sure um, about what he wants to accomplish. He said the Canucks were going to play faster. They were going to be more aggressive. Um, that they were going to they were going to work these younger guys into the lineup. And he's done all of that. And the Sedin's ice time has been down around twelve or thirteen minutes, which is which is quite a difference for them. Um, they've not. I mean, last year they had very little impact. Mm-hmm. They've actually played okay this year, but they just don't get. They're not going to get the opportunity that they've had in the past. So that is that's certainly going to impact their production. But when I watched them play uh, Dallas the other night, and I can't say this over the last few years of watching Canucks hockey. But it was wildly entertaining. It was <laughs> it's, it's awesome. Good point. Uh, and it, they play a little bit like their hair's on fire, you know, like they're running yep. all over the place. But they play fast. They play. They attack the puck if they don't have it. When they have it, they turn it around and they go flying up the ice with it. Mm-hmm. They want to go quickly. And um, I, I mean, I think that's the way you got to play. And Travis has really pushed a lot of the right buttons so far. And um, we'll see, you know, how long it goes on for him because they'll. Right. They've had uh, they've had a really easy schedule. Um, they had a road trip. They won. They did great on. They won four games. But um, they've had an easy schedule, and it's game day off or two days off. It'll get backed up here in November, mm-hmm. and we'll see what they look like in thirty days. Yeah, the uh, the Sedins. I would guess, right? I mean, would you guess they're fine with this? I mean, you know, like they're they're too no. nice to got. You think they're going to sort of start mumbling and grumbling a little bit, or is this going to be okay? No. Sorry, uh, oh. Steve. No, they're not. I can't imagine they're okay with it but they're they won't you'll never hear anything from them <laughs> right like that they're just they're terrific guys they really are yep. and um um anybody that doesn't play much or play as much as they're used to they want um they want more they want to play more sure. they want to have a bigger impact and when you don't have it um all you can do is play better, but it doesn't mean you're going to accept it. I, I can't see. I can't see them saying, "Yeah, this is fine. This is how we'll ride out the rest of our days." Right. Uh, in the off season, a couple of things that uh, much ink was spilt and lots of talking on different uh, hockey shows, and yourself included, about the face-off violation rule and the enforcement of the slashing rule. And here we sit, Ray, and it's fine. Everything's okay. <laughs> uh, sometimes I wonder, like you know, like. People were bitching and complaining about the slashes last year. Remember Crosby slashed yep. off the tip of Mafat's finger. Yep. Uh, Johnny Goodrow broke his finger. Um, somebody else broke a hand. I forget who. And they're like, yep. like something's got to be done. Well, so they do something. And then those same people start to bitch because there's too many penalties. Well, it's going to take some time. And if the league doesn't back off, then it will change. And a month in... You see slashing penalties. When a guy gets slashed on the hands, they still call it. They've allowed more stick-to-stick contact, so that had to work its way in. Now, I, I don't know, do you even really notice it? No. No. When they call a penalty and you see it on the replay, you, you go, you go, yeah, oh, yeah yep. that's a penalty. Absolutely. Every time you go, oh, yeah, look at that. Oh, you know. And then the face-off thing, they, you know, they've kind of come to a settling-in point. It's the same thing. I mean, guys have been cheating for 10 years, mm-hmm. and so you can't, you can't expect it to get right overnight. I mean, I we're working with our 10 and seven year old at home to take their dishes from the table to the sink. <laughs> it's a work in progress. <laughs> right. It doesn't happen all the time. And uh, then we got to remind them. And that's what's happening with the face offs. Yeah. I think it's been fine and, and no problems and no issues at all. It's just, 
Well, I don't, I don't think it's led. I think people were concerned it was going to lead to a crazy amount of power play, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not been the case. Like in the in the early portion or in the um, uh, in the preseason, man, there was a billion penalties, right? Like yeah, you, you know, like... remember how many penalties there were, and now you're like, um, it doesn't seem any different. Like when I when I look at the number of times that teams are short, um, the most I'm, I'm looking through here now. Detroit's been shorthanded 55 times. That's four per game. Yeah. And that's the most in the league. Yeah, which is way under the uh, coming out of the lockout when they enforced the. Yeah, and it was and way under else. what the panic was. Yeah. It's four per game. Exactly. Like, it's not like good. That means there's seven power plays a game, 14 minutes roughly at uh, uh, five on four, and that leaves you 46 minutes of five on five. It's fine to me. No problem. You're right, Ray. And with that, let's uh, let's bring in our guest for the show on the Paul Pocky Podcast. He's a former NHL goaltender, now Fox Sports Midwest uh, analyst and NHL Network for the St. Louis Blues. Darren Pang. What's up, Panger? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm, I'm really proud to be on this uh, award-winning show again. I, I, I remember one time when Ray couldn't do it that I had to carry this program for a little while for yep. him, so I'm happy to be back, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you did a great and, job. And you, also. Did. <laughs> you did. Well, you know what you try to do every day is my great friend that just passed away, Dave Schrader, would say, you just try to bring it to the people every night. That's all you try to do. Hey, Banger, you bring up straights. Um, for those that didn't get to know him, um, as as we did, but you got to know him incredibly well with all the years you guys worked together. Um, tell the people a little bit about Strades, the way he loved the game, how, how much of a pro he was, uh, what type of guy he was. Well, I, I think number one, as, as you well know, he was, he was an analyst dream. I, that's what he was. You're, you're, you're fortunate, Ray. You've got to work with some great play-by-play guys, uh, you know, uh, uh, in your in your time being a broadcaster, and you know the importance of going to a game and knowing that your play-by-play guy has got everything in order, knowing that you're going to for sure meet out for dinner the night before, uh, that you can't wait to get on the road and do that with the guy. That was straight. Um, when I was at ESPN for what 13 or 14 years. Um, when Tom Meese passed away, Dave became my partner, and it's the first time that I, you know, I really got to know him. And um, I, uh, boy, I, I thank my lucky stars that I was able to work with him for as long as I did. Um, let's let's just say I, I'll just try to explain something about Dave Strader. First of all, he was he was very musically inclined. He had a um, an incredible uh, imagination, and he was very creative. So a lot of times, especially in those old ESPN days. You know, we we didn't work for any other team. We worked for ESPN. We'd get our schedule and we'd fly out and we'd we'd do the game between the St. Louis Blues and the Detroit Red Wings. And then, you know, you, you get up to the booth and you've got a producer that says, you know what, I want to change that tease. Um, and, and they say to the play-by-play guy, hey, I've got uh, I got 30 seconds here of, of new B-roll because something happened in downtown uh, Detroit. I want to show this. And, uh, and Gordy Howe walked in the building. We caught him or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and and most play-by-play guys are like, oh, just give me uh, 20 minutes. I got to write it down. I got to do whatever. Strades was incredible. He, he just he said, let me see it once. Sees it once. Writes down some notes. I mean, next thing you know, you almost have a limerick going towards 30-second video, and he, he made he made things like that just sing. And so then you you know then you broadcast a game with Dave and. 
and he knew line combinations. He knew what matchup you were talking about. So the minute that, uh, you know, Yarmer, let's say Yager missed a shift to playing on the same line as, as, uh, as Mario, he's already brought it up. Looks like the coach has changed it up, maybe get a little bit more offense. Yager's gone down to the second line. And, and now you're, 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 you know, you're back in play again. So if you ever missed anything as an analyst, he picked it up. And, and I thought, and especially after going to his, uh, his, his funeral and, and the service that they had, which was beautiful in Glens Falls, and, and talking to a couple of his old basketball teammates from high school, um, where Dave was an accomplished point guard. He was a great hands and, and, and uh, three-point shooter and what have you, setup guy. But then I realized after talking to all these guys, Ray, he was an analyst. <laughs> I mean, that's what made him so good is because he was a basketball player that saw the game so well. And now he just, you know, took that to hockey and and uh, and was able to parlay that into into, into one of the, the best play-by-play voices ever. Um, I, I, got a, I got a quick story for you. The Wednesday before he passed, he passed away on Sunday morning. I flew there on Wednesday. I got a chance to be with him. And out of nowhere, he's lying on the bed. And, and Mickey Redmond had come in earlier in the day, and I, I was in the afternoon, but we, we overlapped um, for, for maybe an hour and a half or something like that. And uh, I was wearing Dave out. I've got to be honest with you. He was on his bedside, and, and I could tell he was running out of gas, trying to keep up with me. And uh, so he, he was quiet for about 20, maybe 25 minutes. And then next thing you know, he pops out of nowhere. I must have been imitating Bob Cole. <laughs> I must have been doing something. It caught his attention, and all I hear is his voice. Strange is on his bedside, and he says, best call from the blue line in. So, we, you know, Mickey and I, we shut up and listened to him, and he goes, nobody, nobody could call a game better than Bob Cole from the blue line in. So I, I, I waited, and I let him tell his, uh, you know, his, his thoughts on, on Bob Cole. And, Ray, you'd love this. I said, Straits, you would have been the best ever if maybe I gave you some time between the blue line and the net to call the, to call the play. I usually left you the bottom of the face-off circle to the top of the crease to make that call. Oh, my God, you guys. He was – it hurt him, actually. And I, feel, I felt bad that he was – he was laughing and trying to keep it in, and he was in so much pain. But, you know, that strays all the way. So if that helps at all for people to understand what he was all about and how much he meant to so many of us, I, I hope that I could even say it eloquently enough in just a short amount of time. Well, Panger, when I had my first – I was at ESPN. I was still playing. And uh, as you know, um, I get a call or somebody comes to the set at, at NHL tonight, and they say, we need you in Dallas to do the game tomorrow as a color analyst. I'm like, I've done it before. <laughs> They're like, good, flight's at 8 o'clock, you know, <laughs> you'll figure it out. And so that was all I, so I sent Panger a note, and I'm like, Panger, what do I do? I don't even know how to do this. And he's like, uh, take three, make three points on each player, put them on your notes, and you get, you got to be ready in case something happens, goofy, but he goes, uh, who are you working with? And I said, uh, Dave Strader. He goes, ah, you'll be fine. Nah. So the game starts. I don't know where to start. Yeah. I don't know when to come in. I don't know where to go out. Three minutes, the puck's going up and down there, so there's not a whistle. So I don't say anything. Right. So Dave, Dave finally asks me a question, and uh, he always joked that that was the biggest mistake he made as a broadcaster was he asked me a question because I never shut up. <laughs> and uh, he was so good. I never had. I had no idea what was going on. But be, just like you said, Panger, Strades made it. Strades made the bed for you, and you just—it was just easy working with him. He was—he was a delight. 
it's a rare, well missed, or it's long a rare breed, and I, I don't say that, that in a condescending manner NHL to anybody that's out there, but lucky if, if there's a play-by-play guy that's new in the business and they want to learn the correct way, then take several play-by-play guys. Dave Strader is certainly at the top of my list, and just listen to, listen to the way you interacted with, the, with your analyst. And, and if I could say this, the way that he treated the... I call them truck people, <laughs> the truck people, <laughs> the, the, the lighting guy, the audio guy, the stats guy, the producer, director, uh, graphics, you name it. I think that's where he was as remembered for anything he did was the kind of person that he was with those guys. And we know that so many people, and I don't get it why they would treat anybody poorly, but why under pressure, you in the greatest job in the world, being on TV or in radio or as a broadcaster, why you wouldn't want to treat people the way you'd want to be treated yourself. And I think that's another legacy that he he has uh, certainly created with his, you know, with with, with his life. Well, Bangers, we, we turned from straights to the games going on today. You're broadcasting one of the best teams in the league, and that's sure the St. Louis Blues. Um, given the way their year started out, injury after injury after injury, um, how has this surprised you? Well, it, it, it has surprised me because of injury after injury after injury. I mean, they start the year with a top-four defenseman out in Bowmeister um, that plays 24 minutes a night. Four of their top nine forwards. I mean, people forget that, like Zach Sanford's, I think he's going to be a heck of a player. Gets hurt in the first day of training camp. Berglund was out. He, mm-hmm. he ended up scoring 21 goals last year. Robbie Fabry, you know, the playoff before, had 15 points in 20 games, and they were two wins away from being in the Stanley Cup final. And then, um, and Steen was also out until October 18th. So um, I thought that if they could really, if they could keep their head above water, Ray, if they could, if they could be a 500 team, maybe a couple of games over by this point, I thought that would be a bonus because the players will return and they'll start, you know, you know, finding their way. Um, then I, you know, I watch training camp. I watch the way Mike Yo coaches. I watch who he added to his his coaching staff. It's Craig Berube and it's uh, Daryl Sidor. Um, it's Steve Ott, retired from the game of hockey, even though he had a contract offer from both Detroit and Montreal. He comes, you know, he comes and joins the team. I, I, I don't use this word lightly, but I, I believe there's great spirit about this team. I, um, I just saw L.A. come into town just a couple of nights ago, and I was talking to, to Rob Blake about, about his club there. And, and I, 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 he said, can you describe what's going on there? And I said, spirit. And he goes, Jesus, that's, what, that, that's exactly what John Stevens just said. He, he said, spirit. He said, we've, huh. you know, we changed, obviously, our coach. And, and Daryl, I mean, Daryl's a Hall of Fame coach. We all know that. Uh, but the time was right for change. But, but John Stevens added Don Knackbauer, Dave Lowry, Pierre Turgeon. You know, Billy Ranford's been there. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the teams that are out there have got a group of players, Ray, that – you played against or, you know, or like they played even before you retired. I mean, this is our era or yours more than mine because I retired so early. But, uh, you know, I, I think the the coaching staff of the St. Louis Blues has brought so much to these players. They want to go to the rink. They enjoy it, every part of it. They've, uh, 
I, I can see when they practice. I can see when they go out as a team. They, they have a team outing. Everybody's there. Um, they are not a an individualistic team. They are they 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 are a team, and they act that way. So I'm really I'm excited about that. On the technical side, their defensive provided a lot of offense, and I think that's kept them afloat as well. Because then you forget that their third and fourth liners haven't scored a whole lot. Although Upshaw and Brodjek have really chipped in lately, but. I mean, the, the stress isn't on Tarasenko or Steen or Stastny. Um, it, the, Petrangelo is leading the D in points. Gunnarsson, Gunnarsson uh, Ray, I call him Boom Boom Gunnarsson now. He's got, you know, he's got three <laughs> goals, and Edmondson's got three or four, and Pareko's providing offense. So, I mean, I don't know. It's it's a pretty good group back there. Now, when you talk about uh, the defense, uh, Alex Petrangelo's been just a, a monster this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what is has he taken it upon himself? Do you think to be a little more aggressive? When we did our, for example, um, we did our TSN top fifty. I had Petrangelo eleventh in the league, mm-hmm. and I got all kinds of crap from our guys about, "Well, oh, I got him way too high." I'm like, I think the guy's a stud. Mm-hmm. And what, what have what have you seen? Well, you should win awards over there. I'll have to give it to <laughs> Judge Bob for not getting him a little higher, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what I here listen. I think people that that maybe maybe didn't quite look deeper into this, but last year when Kevin Shattenkirk was traded to Washington, Alex Petrangelo is not the passer that that Shatty is. We all know that he doesn't quite distribute the same way, or his his passes aren't quite as flat um, as, as as Shatty's. But Alex Petrangelo had 14 points in 14 games then the year last year without Shatty. This year, instead of Shattenkirk getting all the offensive zone face-offs, which, as you well know, coaches like Ken Hitchcock are zone coaches now. Mm-hmm. You have your guys yeah. that take your defensive zone face-offs. You get your third and fourth lines out on the fly um, and maybe some neutral zone face-offs. And then you get Vladdy Tarasenko and Kevin Shattenkirk every single one of the offensive zone face-offs. And there's no getting away from that. Petrangelo, he got all the defensive zone faceoffs, and you know I was talking to Drew Doughty the other day about about Petrangelo because he likes watching Alex play, which I found that fascinating. I know they've been teammates in World Cup and, and Olympics, but I said, you know what, Drew, he's getting all the offensive zone faceoffs now. He's on the number one power play with with right. uh, with, with Tarasenko at even strength. He hops over the boards with Tarasenko. You know, he was the defender. He was the number one guy defending every single situation. And eventually, you're not going to get the offensive numbers because you're not in those situations. You know what Drew Doughty says, Ray, and you'll love this. I, I know. I get all the defensive zone face-offs. I hardly get offensive zone face-offs. <laughs> so, Drew you know, gets every, every face-off. When we're yeah. watching games and, and we want to listen to all the math experts and analytics experts, it's a very simple game. Who's on the ice in the D zone faceoffs against other teams' best players when you're holding on to a lead or when you have to defend and, and stay into the hockey game? There's your analytics. Who gets the offensive candy and, and nothing else? They don't get any defensive zone faceoffs. It's very easy to look at a game and see, you know, where the chart works out. And now Alex Petrangelo, his I think his passing has improved. I think his shot from the point. He works at it every single day for the one timer. He knows that Vladdy Tarasenko is a surgeon out there, and he knows he's got to make sure that Vladdy gets the puck in the right spot. And he doesn't want Vladdy frustrated. 
So he's working his tail off on his game, every aspect of his game. And I got to tell you, I think he's having a ball out there. And he's not playing 29 minutes of of hard D zone, uh, leading the league in shorthanded uh, PK minutes. He's actually playing 24, 25 minutes, 26 sometimes. He played 21 a couple of nights ago, and and he looks fresh. He looks just looks good out there. Panger, do you think that's a little bit? You just said that it jogged this with me. Um, LA's trying to. Uh, squeeze down Doughty's minutes, um, thinking that less minutes will make him more aggressive and more effective. Um, Ottawa's trying to do the same with Eric Carlson. Do you think that's a trend that starts because of the speed of the game to become maybe a little more prevalent, that you won't see the Ryan Suter 28, 29-minute guys anymore? You'll see guys that are 24 and 5 minutes at the top end. I think at this time of year, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it, yeah. but I, I do think that, you know, what's wrong with taking Alex Petrangelo uh, away from some D-zone face-offs, you know, or, or Drew Doughty, um, and give him some fun, give him some candy out there, I like to call it, and get him out of there on the offensive zone face-offs where they're playing with the best players. Because those minutes, as you know, Ray, those aren't heavy minutes. Those are fun minutes. You're handling the puck, you're dancing with it, you're moving it, you're creating havoc in the offensive zone. But the ones in your own zone, you're hemmed in there and you, you play a 58-second shift and the whole time you're defending. Well, those are hard minutes. And I drew down the other night, hey, by the way, a minute and 59-second shift he had the other night. And the Blues eventually scored on it. The Blues made three changes in the offensive zone. Dowdy was hemmed in there. We had our producers record it. 159. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Phil Esposito shift. <laughs> yes, it is. That's right. I got a kick out of Gretz telling me his shifts were always really short. I said, really? <laughs> they were short when he got to your third centerman that would try to get on the ice. His shift. <laughs> Hey, uh, Banger, um, last thing about the Blues, um, the goaltending. Jake Allen uh, last year was, you know, he was up in the air, um, really struggled. Uh, you know, Marty Brodeur was brought in to help work with the goaltenders and to the point where when Allen, had, Allen went home or stayed back on a road trip, what changed for him and why is he a guy they can count on? Well, it obviously, is you know when Marty did take over, it, it, it took a little bit of time for some of Marty's ideas and 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 just some of the videos that Marty showed, and you know was a little bit different than what than what Jake had been going through. Um, uh, I think I think Marty brought back the hockey sense in Jake. Um, I think Jake less was, technical, more athletic. Yeah, kind of? I, I do, Ray. I, I think that he, you know, he. I I thought there there's a couple of things that that I noticed and uh, and. Certainly, Marty did. We we sit and watch the same practices, and we talk about it. But like it, little things, like that, end up being big things. You're getting ready for a D zone faceoff, and they're about to drop the puck, and you're fidgeting with your glove. You're 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 trying to tuck your elbow in somehow, and you're trying to f- fix your pad strap. And it was almost habitual. Some of the little nuances that he was doing that that I thought was hurting his prep. So instead of being square to that faceoff or prepared for a one timer from the slot. He was just a half a second behind. And, like, one of the first things that Marty did with him was he showed him video of a three-on-two, a developing situation, as the great Bill Pito used to say, um, and coming through the neutral zone. And and, and so we happened to have a a robo-camera. There was a camera on on Jake, and it, it it caught Marty's attention. I know that. But, but instead of preparing for the three-on-two and 
who's got the puck, who's the distributor, who's the guy that's going to get the one timer. He, he was he, he wasn't even he wasn't set for it. He he was fidgeting with equipment. He was. Um, so Marty wanted to talk to him about his preparation and using that hockey sense that Jake is so good at, and, you know, knowing the players in front of you, knowing what's coming, and and so those were two little things that. Then the other parts were the details in practice. Uh, you know, when 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 you're working in practice and 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 the players are going behind the net D to D, you've got to go post to post. And when they push it out to the point, you've got to go post to post out to the point. And then you've got to do C drills and U drills and V drills and like these are all the important you know fundamentals of goaltending. And I just I, I think Marty did a great job of reminding them what goaltending was all about. And and with that. You know, Mike Yo took over and implemented a, a way better structure defensively, less man-on-man, and more of his, uh, his, basically, it's a hybrid swarm, and boy, it's good. So most of the shots are from the outside, and, you know, and, and I think Jake benefited from that. Um, this year, he started out slow at camp. He's got her cooking now. His last six games, his goals against average is like under 1.7 again, and his save percentage is like 9.35. So he, again, is showing that he's a top goalie in the league, and he's in great shape, and he's mentally very, very sharp. He doesn't get worn down. And so, I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I think that they've, they've got something that's, uh, that's special, and, uh, um, and I, I know Marty's got a lot to do with it. And now Dave Alexander, his longtime goalie coach, has been hired. And between Marty and Dave, I think they've got I, I think they've got. Uh, uh, Jake working the right way on off days and obviously preparing for games. Now, when you played Panger, there was no goalie coaches. <laughs> I, you know, I had one actually. I, oh. I, I hate to say this to you. In '87, um, I was hired. I mean, I was. It was the year that I made the Blackhawks. Um, that um, off season, Bob Murdoch became our head coach, and he, and he uh, hired um, Wayne Thomas to be the assistant coach oh. slash goalie coach. Oh wow. And so Wayne, um, I played against Wayne for three years in the minors. He was in Salt Lake. And uh, so, in fact, in one year in, in, when I was playing for Milwaukee or Saginaw, I can't remember, but I watched him uh, work on the ice with Mike Vernon, who was sent down to Salt Lake. I watched all their drills, and this is why I always go back to UZ, um, A drills, V drills, you name it. And uh, uh, I asked, I, I knocked on, on Wayne Thomas's office, and I said, "Would you mind drawing some of these out for me? Um, I've been watching your practice with, uh, you know, with with Mike Vernon, and I think this would be a big help for me. Here I am on the other team, and whatever. Wayne Thomas drew me five pages, and I have them to this day. Wow. And I give him all the credit in the world for giving me a chance. In fact, he was fired the next year because the whole coaching staff was Ray. Mike Keenan came in, and we did not have a goalie coach." And I'm telling you, if there was a time that I needed a goalie coach and a psychologist, <laughs> it was it was that year. <laughs> hey, Panger, uh, I, I you know we've we've spent enough time together. I I know the Keenan <laughs> pulling your pulling you when you were in goal. Please please tell the listeners. <laughs> well, in uh, so my first year was eighty seven, eighty eight, and I played almost what fifty games that year. And uh, I thought I was rolling pretty good. I was up for Rookie of the Year, which, of course, Newendike in a landslide won it. Uh, made the all-rookie team. I met, I met Mike Keenan in Montreal uh, in the presentation for the all-rookie team. And I got a letter from him about five days later talking about how, what kind of a great person I was and personality-wise, and he can't wait to work with me. And uh-huh. uh, So then the next year, um, of course, I was pulled 13 times by Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't finish a hell of a lot. I couldn't finish a period. I'd give up one goal. I was pulled out of the net. I I mean I was 
I was just beside myself. It was just a, it was a nightmare. So, um, you know, I know I knew he wanted Ron Hextall. I knew I wasn't Ron Hextall. Um, <laughs> and anyway, he ended up, uh, you know, he ended up telling the hockey world by pulling me so often, especially when it was, isn't it something that every time we were on hockey night in Canada with all the, you know, the national exposure that, you know, that's the games that I got pulled probably the most. And then he could come afterwards and tell everybody that he had a goaltending problem. It's really something the way somebody can work that if they want to. Just what a coincidence, eh? Yeah, no kidding. Huh? <laughs> I, I would love to read a Mike Keenan book by all the players that he, he coached. Because between Mike Healy and Old Chuck, yourself, Darren Pang, I have, I have heard mm-hmm. some stories. And mm-hmm. I would buy that well, book. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's funny that I'm not one. I don't, I, I don't hand the blame off. I I would I would have liked to have done it again. Um, I took my mask off one time on the bench. Can't remember what city it was. I threw my mask at him. I mean, <laughs> hit him. Um, I I didn't pout. I, I I knew that that wasn't the way to go. Um, I uh, one game. I actually was a backup goalie for a playoff game. We were playing Calgary. It was conference final for crying out loud. We're playing Calgary. You know, you're three wins away from being in the Stanley Cup final in 1980-89. And he quit on the players on the bench. He quit on them. And I'm the, the backup goalie would, you know, we would stand on the bench. You'd have one assistant coach, you'd have the trainer, and the backup goalie would stand there. And players would often, and Ray, you probably did that yourself. Like, you know, if, uh, I don't know what goalie, but if Michael Eud or Greg Millen or whoever was on, the, on your bench and you were having a hard time scoring on a goalie, Many of my players would come over and say, is he doing something I'm not seeing, or is there mm-hmm. something there? And I would always be analyzed, and so they knew they could come to me, and I'd, I'd, I'd give them an answer anyway. And this particular game, I mean, he flat-out quit. We we got a too many men on the ice penalty because he just sat back. And I, I went right to him on the bench, and I called him a quitter. And I challenged him, and I, I went right at him on the bench. And it was, oh, it was one of the things that I'm, I mean, I'm seriously I'm proud of that because I, I wasn't playing, and I, I – you know, I could I could have not given a darn about it, but I I cared for these players. We wanted to get to the final, and I I couldn't stand that anybody would quit on these guys that got you that far. And uh, I'm not sure if it made a mark with Mike, but I know I was completely angry, and I was completely challenged him at that moment to not quit on these these players. So I don't know. I, I my career was very short, but I was very proud of that moment. Well, I I can't imagine sitting there and the coach bailing on me how pissed I would be. Like, seriously, we, yeah. we're we still playing, aren't we? Like if, the, the players oh, in I'm, a conference final are changing. Denny Savard oh. took it upon himself to change the lines. And I watched it and watched it, and I, I just wow. couldn't stand it anymore. Like, that's not the time to make a point. <laughs> the point is in October or November, not in the Stanley Cup conference final. So I don't, I, I just, I just never, I would never understand that. I'm a different energetic guy and a positive guy, and, and I wanted to remove him, and I would, have, I would have got behind the bench for the rest of that game, see if we would have had, given, given ourselves a little bit of a chance. Okay, Panger, so we're going to let you go quick here, but you have, of the passions in your life, you love hockey, you're a fabulous family guy, and you love, love, love golf. So <laughs> we've been fortunate enough to go on some amazing trips together. Good group of guys. We get out there. We were in Ireland and Scotland this year, and it was amazing. But when you and I play together, we have um, we have some issues of uh, organization. So I would like you to tell 
how we were named, we have been named on this group, Harry and Lloyd from Dumb and Dumber, which I think is your fault, not mine, <laughs> and how we got lost at Bandon Dunes at the driving range. Well, for for any anybody that's been to wonderful Bandon Dunes, you, you know that things aren't too far apart. How on earth could we There's go to the road. driving range? <laughs> this is set up, and this is a well-organized, I mean, top shelf. Everybody knows their tea time. We've got a laminated book that tells us everything about it. And to get from the range to Old McDonald, it shouldn't be that difficult, Harry. It shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> but somehow, only one and I, just by the way, I wasn't driving. That would be you. Okay, that's you driving the car, and then that was you, like, after we were lost and in a parking lot, that was you thinking that you had the car in reverse after we were laughing and giggling like <laughs> Harry and Lloyd. You had it in drive, and you went forward into the curb, by the way. <laughs> right. Like, it's Ray, I, I, I didn't do that. That was, that was, it was Harry or it was Lloyd, but, but it was you. And I, I just was giggling my ass off. I got I to gotta tell you, I, I've laughed a lot in my lifetime, and I plan on laughing a lot more. But that trip in Bandon Dunes a few years ago, I, I've, I've never laughed so hard, but I thought that was fantastic. We eventually got to the first tee. I didn't have a glove, tees, balls. <laughs> They're already on the tee waiting for us. And we were 38 seconds away from it, but we couldn't find it. Oh, boy. <laughs> And as soon and because the group was like thirty guys, like the story started to filter through the group. By the time we were finished, everybody was like, "How the hell could you not get to the tee from the driving range?" And the the reason is, as Panger said, I was driving. Uh-huh. We were gabbing away like we always do, and you come out of the driving range, you turn left to the golf courses. I turned right. We ended up in the maintenance yard. <laughs> and then we had to turn around now we're late and we're racing along and i put the car i park and okay now i gotta back up but it was still in gear and i oh. jumped a little curve <laughs> oh, a, oh my goodness i i tell you what I'm, I'm having a good laugh right now and it makes me feel good bud <laughs> because when we do get onto the course i mean we just have a blast together bud i yeah, it's cannot, incredible. Cannot just incredible for, memories. For we're lucky to be. Uh, sure. We got we got two feet above ground. We're able to put a ball in a tee, and we plan on doing it for a long, long time, big fella. Putting the car <laughs> in drive. Oh boy! Well, All right, we're at, back. At least at, at your expense, I had a little bit of fun, and I said that cannot be edited out of there. <laughs> no, you got to leave that in. You have to leave that in. Because it's a perfect segue from from just us being just, in character. Yeah, exactly right. Telling the story of getting lost and then the phone dies and it's perfect. <laughs> right there we go. Uh, so outstanding. All right, Panger. Well, thank you for your time on the Pop Hockey Podcast with Ray Ferraro. Appreciate it. Good stories, and uh, yeah, I look forward to watching you on TV a lot uh, when I'm catching the Blues game. So thank you, man. I always like listening to you guys uh, on this podcast. So thanks for having me on. It is absolutely my pleasure. Panger, thanks, buddy. We'll talk to you soon and hope we run into you pretty quick. Sounds great, Ray. Can't wait, bud. Take care, boys. All right, thanks thanks to Panger for coming on, Ray. Good guy. Good guy. He has got infectious energy. If you're in a bad mood, I hope you're standing next to Panger because 
by the time you're finished standing yeah. there, you won't be in a bad mood anymore. He's yeah. he's a he's a great guy. No, absolutely. All right, let's get into some tweets. Uh, lots of questions this week. We got some via email also, Ray. Uh, before we go though, something I had uh, before we get into that, uh, something I had written down here to talk about, and we'll do it another show. But I want you to rank the six cities that you played in. But as I want you to rank them as it has nothing to do with the team. But we'll get to that in another show. But I gotta get I gotta okay, figure this out. Um, also, too, Mario Tremblay is an analyst now uh, in Quebec for the Montreal Canadiens. He dropped in a, on a radio interview, I believe it was in a radio interview, that everybody knows that Alice Kalchenyuk has had substance uh, problems, has been into the into the program, um, which actually I don't think anybody knew. So nice job, Tremblay. Well, um, I would say it was absolutely idiotic of him to say anything. Mm-hmm. Number one. Yep. Number two is um, unless one of the doctors has committed a breach of protocol, he would have no idea whether Alex Galchenyuk was or was not in the program. I've run into the doctors mm-hmm. um, at various airports, and I knew them because when I played, they were they were there, and um, and they're you know you see them over the years. You ask them, "Hey, where are you headed?" and they'll say, "Oh, just going on a trip." They don't tell you anything. Yeah. There was no, my guess is there is that is nothing but BS from Trombley. It is wanting to be noticed. Um, I I don't know how he would know. Right. I don't know one way or the other whether Galchenyuk was or was not in that program. First of all, the program is uh, highly confidential because like uh, programs of addiction. Um, they want the people that are going into the program to have their privacy guarded, so they'll come to the program to get help. If if people think it's going to be in the news, they'll never go. They'll ne- yeah, well, right. So yeah. I, I have I have zero respect for Trombley and the comments that he made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, I don't know Alex Galchenyuk. I don't know if he's been in the program or not in the program. Doesn't really matter to me. What I do know is. Um, I, I think that is a, a crock of crap. I agree. That he would even bring it up. All right, let's get to some questions on Twitter and on email. Here's one from email uh, from Nick. Uh, I love the show. I had a question about the atmosphere at NHL games. Ray is familiar with European hockey, and he's noted that he's a season ticket holder with the Whitecaps. So he has seen the different type of fan atmosphere uh, at these events than at a normal game. I feel this is something the NHL is lacking. There is a sterile environment at games, and to be honest, there's no difference between any of the 31 NHL arenas. I feel like the NHL could distance itself from the other big four sports leagues by trying to create an almost soccer-like atmosphere. This is likely something that has to be started by the fans, but I feel some other teams could help to promote. What do you think, Ray? Uh, you, you, could, you could certainly. I mean, you know, in most uh, of the soccer stadiums, there's a supporter section, which are basically the lunatic fans, the, the real crazy. <laughs> and they... They they make the atmosphere in the building. They sing, they chant, they cheer. It's outstanding. Um, but the the email's correct. The fans do it. The teams don't. Yep. Um, I, I would say there is a certainly um, uh, oh a sense of that the you know the the fans that might be most loud, most into it, mm-hmm. they're priced out of the rink. They're not there anymore. Yeah. And, you know, like at Madison Square Garden back in the day, they used to have the, the guys that sat up in the blues. Mm-hmm. They were wild up there. Well, they've been priced out of that seat. 
and the people that sit there aren't as engaged. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's probably across the board in a lot of cases. I, um, you know, when, when you go to the world championships, of course, that's a little different, but you know, the, there's always some chanting and singing. It's a soccer crowd. Yeah. And, and that, um, that is a fun atmosphere. It's a, it's a lot of, a lot more fun, a lot more entertaining, uh, than a lot of national hockey league nights, um, which are in, in a lot of cases are people that are cheering for their team, but they're, they're watching the game and there's not much else going on. Okay. Let me ask you this before I make a point, the white caps games in Vancouver, are they to you like a European hockey game? Or any European soccer games, if you've ever been to any, are they the same or not? Uh, no, no, not as much. Because okay. um, in a in a in a European game, um, the entire stadium is doing what the supporters are doing. Okay, because I was going to say, or or most of the most of the stadium. If anybody's doing what the supporters are doing. If anybody's traveled in Europe extensively, I, I think there's just a cultural difference between us and them. Um, from yeah, people, I have friends. It's yeah. the way yeah. the way that don't you think it's the way people oh, yeah. have grown up watching mm-hmm. the game, and yep. that's. That's the way it is, and it's. It would be hard to change. It would be fun if it could, yeah. because I love. I love it. Right. I, I think it really brings a lot of fun to the game. All right. Email from Chase here. Uh, question for Ray on the next podcast. Hearing him talk about being brutally honest about selfish players on the last podcast, I would like to him to take us through the Patrick Stefan empty net miss when Dallas played Edmonton. I was at that game, and beyond just being an epic misplay and an exciting goal to take it over, to take it over time. I'll never forget Ray's harsh commentary when I watched the replay at home later that night. Take us through the play and the honest commentary against Stefan. I did not know you did that game, well, right? Yeah, I did. Oh. I, I, in a lot of cases, they, I hear the audio of the other call. Um, I was doing the game with uh, uh, Peter Labardius, was doing the play-by-play for the Oilers. Uh-huh. And um, Stefan gets a breakaway on an empty net. Now, I played with Patrick in, in Atlanta. Um, and um, he has a breakaway on the empty net, and he went in and basically tried to stick-handle the puck into the net. And as he went to take it to his backhand, it jumped over his stick, went into the corner, he fell down, knocked the puck, um, I forget to who, somebody passed it all the way up to the far blue line. Um, They made one pass, and Alex Hemsky tied it with two seconds left. And I said, that was soft. It's got no place in the National Hockey League. You should be embarrassed of yourself. And then I got a bunch of people saying, oh, the ice was bumpy. Who the hell cares? He's a pro hockey player. If you can't shoot it into the net from 20 feet, get the hell out of the league. It's, and the reason I was pissed is because that's how Patrick played. Mm-hmm. Like Patrick is an incredibly nice guy. He's a super nice guy. But he's a, he was a, not a competitor. He wasn't fierce. He wasn't, wasn't even the yeah. least bit gritty. And so when I saw that miss, it pissed me off. Yeah. I'm like, shoot it into the bloody net. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then, of course, to make matters worse, you know, he fell down in this incredible chain of events had to happen for the puck to end up in the other net. It's one of the, one of the most improbable goals I've ever seen. Yeah, nobody's but, talking about it if Edmonton doesn't score, probably. Well, they probably talk about it, but no. the fact that... Nah, yeah. they wouldn't even know it. You know, yeah, they yeah. talk about it second but here's the thing so the you know the he's talking about selfish players i didn't say patrick was selfish not once um and again i don't i don't get i don't take anything personal from it i'm like i was mad because if i were sitting on that bench i'd be like seriously shoot it in the bloody net <laughs> right exactly and you've been on a bench with patrick Stefan, probably saying some things about 
Hey. Well, many times. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and, and he just, had it been another player, I might not have reacted the same way or yeah. a player that I didn't know as well. Yep. But he was a teammate for three years. Yeah. I, I saw this movie. And so that's why I reacted the way I did. Uh, from Andrew Huska, this is going to be tough, right? But favorite conversation on a bench that you were a part of? I mean, maybe the San Diego chicken from Alan Cote? I don't know. But uh, Well, favorite favorite conversation. I mean, there, honestly, there's right. hundreds, you know, hundreds. And, um, oh, I, I, I guess what I would say, you know, without having the time to go through mm-hmm. all of them, or some of them even, is that, there's more stuff that happens on a bench that's got nothing to do with the game that somehow a conversation springs up of something yeah that those are like like those are those are memorable the one where you're talking about you know okay look on the power play we got to get it down low <laughs> right. come to, that stuff's just all kind of all globs itself together the, you know the I remember one line by the great late Dave Semenko. We're sitting in Hartford, just a great guy. I'm playing in a line with him and Shane Sherlock. We haven't got a shift halfway through the second period. Things are not going very well for our line. <laughs> I've got out a couple times on the power play, but we haven't got on the ice. And Dave says, see those people sitting over there? And he's pointing to the fans on the other side of the ice and and Shane Turla and I say, yeah, yeah, we see him. And he goes, they think we dressed or won a contest and got to dress up and sit with the Whalers for the night. It's just it's nothing to do with the right. game. Now we're giggling away and Gold. Like, stuff like that <laughs> would happen a lot. And, um, and I do miss that. Uh, from Ron Jones, which non-goon, and we could just say which player, let's say, which, which player were you most scared of and why? Uh, which, so, so a guy that, you know, didn't make a living with, with beating people up, but was there a guy that, uh, Brian, yeah, Brian Marchment. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, uh, yeah Brian I, I, I thought he tried to hurt people. Um, I was always terrified he was going to get me in the middle of the ice because I used to carry the puck in the middle. And, um, yeah, he, he scared the hell out of me. I, I was never really too, too crazy about playing against him. Uh, this is from Mitchell Higgins. Who was the nastiest, verbally, verbally nastiest guy on the ice, but the nicest guy off of it? Have you ever run into one of those guys where you were like, hey, you just um, you know, you try to take my head off? And... Well, no, I am like, not – I mean – the stuff that gets said on the ice, um, in you know, it's different now. But I mean, in in many cases, was like back in the day, was so inappropriate, or <laughs> would have set alarm bells off in forty five different directions. And then when it was over, you never even really thought about it. Like, yeah. rarely did anyone say anything to me that stuck. At the time, it would really piss me off. And, yeah. Um, so I can't really come up with a guy that. Um, I, you know, I didn't really, or came yeah. across that you're like, well, I, I don't want to talk to him because of what he said. So like post game, you're, you're Ray Ferraro, you know, playing in the league, you go to the Palomino in Winnipeg after the game. Okay. Cause that's where all you guys went. And, and there's another, I've heard of that place. Yep. And there's another guy there from the, like never, no, n- not even you, but never any problems with the guys after the game. Everybody realized that you think? No. Well, you just, I don't know, you, yeah. if you didn't like the guy, you just went right. to a different spot. Right, right, Or, right. like, a different spot of the bar and yeah. or, or the restaurant or wherever the hell you were. Because we used to stay over a lot more than the players do now. So uh-huh. it was common that you'd, more common that you'd run into somebody from the other team. And you'd say, hey, how you doing? Good game, whatever. And yeah. then you'd 
go hang out with your guys. Yeah. And, you know, there was never... There's always an understanding. There's always never. an understanding, yeah, I guess. Yeah, never, yeah. never nothing spilled over after, you know, it, not to my knowledge anyway. Uh, Jeremy Mock, what's your opinion on penalties being a full two minutes, regardless if a team scores on the power play or not? This is the, I think they had this in the 1950s that they went away from it, 1960s or something. That used to be this Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care. I mean, if, if you want to do it, sure. I mean, the, the best power play score 20% of the time. Mm-hmm. So this thing only becomes a factor in 20% of the very best power plays, probably in 15% across the league. Would the, this even be a factor? Because most, you know, if a guy's power plays eighty per, or twenty percent, that means eighty percent of the time they don't score. Right. So you know, it really isn't going to add that much to it. I, I don't have a problem with it if they if they want to do it. If they think they can, um, you know, grab another couple of goals from it. Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'd, I'd be into it. Pilsner Monkey said, hey, Ray, please comment on the Vegas goaltending situation. If people didn't know, uh, Dansk got hurt last night. They called up a kid from junior, I think, to play. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but you, I, I was thinking, Ray, you've seen this with your Atlanta Thrashers, so this isn't. Yeah, but we didn't do it because of injury. We did it because <laughs> of lack of stopping pucks. <laughs> right. And you just turn around, and there's a new guy standing there. And This is insane you know, for I don't, Vegas. I don't, yeah. Honestly, I don't know how Vegas has even kept their head above water um, given what's happened to their team. It's really crazy. Absolutely. All right. Um, that's it. That's that's all we got. We got some more, but we'll, we got to run, and, and I got to run. And, Save them. Yeah. Save them. Yeah, yeah, you know. I got to get ready for the Leaf game tomorrow. I got to leave early in the morning, get down there. Any chance of uh, of me trying to get in with some pre-game meetings with Babcock to maybe talk about Josh Levo playing some more? Well, he's playing tonight, so we'll see how he plays. If he plays crappy, he won't be playing tomorrow. Oh, and if he plays good, then you'll, maybe you'll get your wish. That'll be fantastic. All right, well, thanks to Darren Pang for coming on. Uh, great stories. We'll have him on again, too. I'm sure we just scratch the surface of that stuff. And, uh, and thank you to everybody who listens and downloads and comments and, and, uh, and gives us uh, uh, reviews and props on, on Twitter. We really appreciate it. Uh, Ray Ferraro, the best uh, analyst in the game, if you ask me. Thanks, Ray. Thanks very much, and uh, that was fun. Um, Panger's awesome guy, as we as we said. I hope uh, people listened uh, that listened enjoyed the show today. And uh, Steve and I will be back next week. Thanks, Steve, and um, we'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good. Thanks, Ray. Later, guys.